Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today is week two of our series, Keep Going, and I'm really excited about what I believe God has in store for us today. Let me invite you up front to grab your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Samuel 23. We're also going to be in Psalm 54 a little bit later, but I'd love for you to grab your Bible, get it open, and get ready, and we're going to jump right in. This last week, I was talking to my kids, and they were asking me questions about my scars. They saw some scars on my legs and my hands. They asked me if I remembered how I got them, and they wanted to hear the stories. Led to a conversation with my 11-year-old daughter, Ryan, who has a scar right smack dab at the top of the bridge of her nose, right between her eyebrows. You can't miss it. We were talking to Ryan, and it happened about four years ago. It was actually New Year's Eve four years ago. And I asked her if she remembered how it happened, and she, to a T, recalled every single detail. And I asked her what that scar stood for in, in her life, like, uh, like what it meant to her. Every time she sees it in the mirror, what does she think about or what does she remember? And the truth is, she actually had a metal pot that was thrown at her by a two-year-old little boy who was a little disgruntled at the fact that he, Ryan was playing with his toys. And she said, every time I see it, it makes me think about metal pots. Truth is, most, if not all of us watching right now, have scars. And every time we see our scars... It's likely that it conjures up a a moment in time, a memory, when somebody asks you about how you got that. The truth is, not only are there physical scars, but there are relational scars, there are emotional scars, there are spiritual scars. And a lot of times, scars not only inform us about what happened, but they create reservations in us so that something like what was so painful to begin with doesn't happen again in the future. Scars can actually either inform us or they can stymie us depending on the circumstance. And the the same is true in our life and and in our faith. So today we're actually going to look at scars in a message that I've entitled Fire or Fear. We're going to look at how we allow scars to inform us rather than paralyze us and how God leans into us in the midst of our hurt and our our, our, our desperation and our frustration in the middle of the pain and how we're called to lean back into him. I want to start our time together with prayer and I invite you to pray along with me. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for my friends and for our community that's gathered together virtually. Thank you for technology. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are and how you're moving in the midst of this really weird season. It's unlike anything that we've experienced before and God, I just pray that you would give us supernatural peace and wisdom as we continue to navigate these waters. Help us to keep going. And today, as we unpack scars, and as we look at the difference between fire and fear, I pray that you would not only inform us, but that you would encourage us and that you would equip us to live a life that is a life of perseverance, that presses on to what you have for us, that we would keep going as we follow your leadership in our lives. And I pray now that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of our hearts would be received as a gift to you, Lord. Amen. Well, hopefully you've had a chance to grab your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Samuel 23. And we're going to jump right in. We're picking up a story that is really unique, where David, the king, anointed king at this time, has yet to take the throne. He's living on the run in fear of the current king of Israel at the time, a man named Saul. David has a long history with Saul. He started off as uh, an individual who defied the Philistine army in particular 
a giant uh, named Goliath who was from Gath. From there, he ends up in Saul's court and he plays music to calm Saul's night terrors, the things that are, that are going on that are consuming his spirit. Saul will appoint David as a, as a soldier and then as a warrior and commander. And David's many exploits will actually lead to Saul's anger and resentment and jealousy and bitterness, which will also lead to the potential for David's demise. He moves into being Saul's son-in-law because Saul is committed to honoring his word in front of his, his court where if David would bring back, uh, we'll call it a trophy, we'll keep it PG right now, a trophy from war, from victory, that he would award David with the, the hand of his daughter, Michael, in marriage. David not only honors what Saul had commissioned him to do, he comes back and he excels at the task at hand. Long story short, David has unbelievable reflexes. He ends up dodging some javelins and he gets word that Saul is ready to kill him and he goes on the run, but then he comes back, but then he leaves again. He comes back, and it's this convoluted story. But where we pick it up is David has now assembled an army of about 600 men, and God is moving in this king, yet to be named king in Israel, but uh, anointed by God, soon to be appointed, and he's on the run for his life. He's on the run from the threat of Saul and the entire Israelite army under Saul's leadership. When David hightails it out of there, he runs into a community called Nob, and he comes across a priest there who is going to gift him food, water, and supplies, but under false pretenses. David actually uses his position in Saul's army to take these supplies, the food and the water, even though he wasn't telling the truth. God uses that moment to to deliver into his hands this, these supplies, the sustenance that he needs. David's on the run. Saul catches word that this is going on. He's so angry that these priests, one really, but that this community of Nob would have in any way assisted David, that he goes to Nob and he annihilates all of the priests and all of their families except one. And we'll learn about him here in just a minute. That's how angry that's how, that's, how, that's how crazy this man Saul is. That's how desperate he is to kill David and to get rid of him from his life. We're going to pick up this story. It's a story that is wrought with fear and with fire and with uh, scars. It's a story that is, is just got so much meat to it that I hope we can unpack as much as we can in our time together. We're going to start in verse 1. And I'm going to read along pretty quickly, but I will stop along the way. To help us understand some things. And it says here, One day, news came to David that the Philistines were at Keilah, stealing grain from the threshing floors. And David asked the Lord, Should I go and attack them? Yes, go and save Keilah, the Lord told him. But David's men said, We're afraid even here in Judah. Now Judah is about 17 miles away from Jerusalem, and they have been, they've been hiding out there on the run. They are fugitives on the run and know that Saul's coming after them. And they're afraid that if word gets out that David and his army are going to go to Keilah to help stop this, this attack from the Philistines, this, this bullying essentially that's taking place from the Philistines just because they could, that Saul would in fact learn about their, their location and come after him. So a couple of things are going on. We'll unpack here in just a second. 
Verse 3 says, But David's men said, We're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Keilah to fight the whole Philistine army. I mean, there's only 600 of us, and that's an entire army. Not only that, but Saul was going to find out where we're at and come after us. In verse 4, David says, does something unbelievable that I think we need to really pay attention to. It says, So David asked the Lord again. And again the Lord replied, Go down to Keilah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. There's three things that I want to unpack really quick. Number one, I want to unpack fire. There's a fire that the Lord gifts David with. Fire is something that I want you to think about as an internal passion, as something that drives David. He's got this fire for the oppressed people. He's got this fire for the underdog. He's got this fire for those who are being taken advantage of. And David knows that he can do something about that. He can assist. He might even be able to stop this oppression, this this battle that is not even a fair fight. So he goes to God in prayer, and he tells God about this fire that's in him. God, is this fire from you? Have you put this fire in me? Do you want me to go to Tequila with my men and and, and stop this, this battle, this war that's being waged. And God speaks so clearly to David. He said, yes, go, go. David's got this fire burning in him, and with excitement, he runs to his men. And he tells these guys, hey, God has told me that we're to go to Keilah, and that we are to, to take, to take a, a, a hold of this city for the people of Keilah who can't defend themselves and, 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 and to battle against the Philistines and that God's going gonna to win this battle for us. From this fire that David is experiencing, there's this juxtaposition that's taking place in his men, and that's fear. These men are looking at the scars on their hands. They're looking at the scars on their arms. They're looking at the scars on their shields and the, the, the armor that they have. And they're asking David to really reconsider, to really think about what he's asking these men to do because these scars represent damage and hurt and pain and and it creates fear in them. They're looking at these scars and they're remembering all the danger and all the hurt and all the pain that comes with a moment like this. How often is that true of us? And it may not be a physical scar. It could be a financial scar. You know, it could be a, a, an emotional scar. It could be a, a spiritual scar. It could be a relational scar. But we look at these scars and they remind us of the hurt and the pain that caused that scar to begin with. And it leads to fear. And that fear actually paralyzes us from pursuing the fire. We want to be in another relationship, but the last one didn't end so well. It created these scars inside of us and we carry those scars and so now we we view everyone through the lenses of those scars we we want to serve at church we want to get involved but the last time we got involved it didn't work out as 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 though we wanted it to the way we wanted it to people were not quite as receptive as we had hoped financially whatever that is we've got these scars and if we're not careful it'll actually put out the fire that god has placed in us and create this fear that paralyzes us. What I love about what David does here, this, this thing I want to talk about, the third thing is how he goes back to God. You know, he doesn't react in anger to these men, at least not recorded. He doesn't go to the drawing board to try to figure out his own game plan. What he does was he goes back to God and he prays into God's promise. I want to say that again because I think that's, 
That's perhaps the most crucial thing that I'm going to say all day. What David does in the midst of all this confusion and what I like it, uh, likely is, is, I would imagine is, is chaos, is he goes back to God and he prays into the promise. What's the promise? Well, he had gone to God before and God clearly told him to go to Keilah to take up arms and to battle the Philistines and, to, and that he would, he would take care of it. How many people in our lives do we allow to remind us of our failures in the past or of our hurt in the past or of the scars from our past that keep us from pursuing God's promises in our lives. Now, I'm not saying we should be haphazard, right? I've got scars in my body from, from stupid mistakes that I made, from cutting myself with a knife. I've got a scar on my, on my right finger that I've, I've had for the last, what, six, seven years from a broken vase that I grabbed the wrong way and it snapped. And so I've learned some lessons about how to handle broken glass so that that doesn't happen again. But it hasn't kept me from the kitchen. I look at these moments like this, and David leans into God in prayer, and he's praying into the promise. One of the most important things that I think we need to understand today is what the promises of God are. In order for us to pray into the promises of God, the things that he has declared already, the things that he guarantees in his word, is we've got to get into his word. You can't pray into something that you don't identify with. You can't pray into something that you don't understand. You can't pray into something that you don't know. So the best way to understand the promises that God has given us is to get into his word and begin to pray into the promises. As David goes back to pray into God's promise, in verse 4 it says, So David asked the Lord again, and again the Lord replied, Go down to Keilah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. It's not on David's strength or his might or his reputation or his power or his authority. It's God who goes before. And this is a promise. David's now praying into this promise and he's allowing that to inform his decisions, which we're going to spend a little bit more time with here in just a second. Look at verse 5. It says, So David and his men went to Keilah. I can only assume that this conversation ensues with David when he goes back and he says, guys, I I sought the Lord again. I prayed into the promise and he's made it so abundantly clear that he's going to go with us. He's going to go before us and he's going to help us in victory. These men have to look at David and in spite of their, their fear because of the scars, they trust David. They trust David maybe because of his character. They trust David maybe because of his track record. They trust David maybe because of his reputation. They trust David because he's the anointed one that God will install as king over Israel. Whatever it is, they trusted David and with good reason. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, who do you trust and are they trustworthy? Who are the people that you allow to speak into your life, to challenge you, to to lead you in love, to demonstrate godliness and goodness and holiness that invites you to follow them in this journey of becoming more and more a fully devoted follower of Jesus. When we find those people, those exceptional people, and I've been blessed over the course of my, my life to have countless individuals that, that I trust, that I love, that I respect, that I admire, that I've, I've followed into battle because they were trustworthy and, and because God had anointed them and I learned so much from them. It's so important for every one of us to have individuals like that in our lives. And I say it all the time, we're not just called to ministry, we're called to life and ministry together. We need one another. So 
Looking at this, in verse 5, these men that are in David's army agree to go, and it says they, they slaughtered the Philistines and took all their livestock and rescued the people of Keilah. Slaughtered is actually a term that should conjure up in our minds this annihilation. Like, it wasn't even a fair fight. That David and his mighty army of 600 men go into Keilah, where these people have been absolutely decimated by the Philistine army, and it's not even a fair fight. Keilah is actually in a punch bowl. It's in the lowlands of the community of Judah. And it's a fortified, it's a citadel, it's a fortified community. That means it's got walls and gates to come in and out of. So David likely, with the appointment of God to go in there, created a battle plan and trusted the Lord as he went into battle. But it's actually going to come full circle and potentially pose a problem for David. We're going to read about that right now. In verse 6, it says, Now, when Abiathar, there it is, I told you I was going to talk to you about the priest here in a minute, when Abiathar, son of Ahilamech, fled to David at Keilah, he brought the ephod with him. Saul comes, and he annihilates all these priests in Nob. And it says here that Abiathar grabs this ephod. It's a, it's a part of the priestly garments that's got these beautiful ornate colors of gold and purple and blue and scarlet. And he brings it as a representation of the Lord and God's presence with them. Abiathar comes and he, he comes prepared for, for an encounter with God. One of the reasons why I wonder so much if we don't encounter God is because we're not prepared for it. Jesus, Jesus isn't, uh, isn't ambiguous about being prepared for encounters with God. He said, ask of God and you shall receive. Seek God and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. We're called to ready ourselves for the encounter with God. That's why we exist as a church, to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. And it's to that end that we do everything that we do. It's the, the songs that we choose. It's the ministries that we're a part of. It's the, the relationships that we're building. It's the leadership that we place around us. It's all geared to help everyone possible, anyone and everyone that the Lord would put in our path to help them encounter God. Here, Abiathar comes and he's prepared for an encounter with God. I would encourage you this morning to ready your hearts and open your minds for an encounter with God. In verse 7, it says, Saul soon learned that David was at Keilah, which means he had a spy in, in the camp. He had, there's an enemy spy hanging around that reported news to Saul that David was with his men in, in Keilah. And here's what Saul's uh, uh, response was. He says, good, he exclaimed. We've got him now. God himself God himself has handed him over to me, for he has trapped himself in a walled town. That's that citadel that I was just describing a moment ago, the community of Keilah. So Saul mobilized his entire army to march to Keilah and besiege David and his men. Look who he gives credit to. He says, God has given David over to me. The truth is that Saul had sought diviners and spirits and just about anyone that he felt like could help him connect with a higher power because the anointing in 1 Samuel 15 was stripped away from him because of his direct disobedience to God. And I wonder, I wonder how many times we convolute 
the word and the will and the way and the work of God by superimposing our own ideologies and understandings on, on what we think God is doing. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, we create a circumstantial God. The danger with that is we can so often read into something that was never intended to be read into. And we can give appointment to God that was never intended to be appointed. And the problem is that it may not even be God at all. It may be a God, a little G God, a deity. Oftentimes, we are the God of our own lives. And we give credit. We begin to justify our junk. I mean, look at here, Saul. Saul is on a murderous rampage. He's doing everything he can to kill David. And in order to justify his junk, to feel okay about this, he actually finagles his way into trying to give credit to God for trapping David when that's not God's intentions or plans at all. Let's look at this. Verse 9. But David learned of Saul's plan, and he told Abiathar, the priest, to bring the ephod and ask the Lord what we should do, what he should do. So David reaches out to this priest who has this representation of communication or commitment, representation of, of a call out to God. It's this ephod, this priestly garment. And as Abiathar is there, David's asking him to intercede on his behalf. He's saying, would you, would you pray on my behalf? Would you reach out to me? Would you ask God if this is about to happen, if these things are true? Verse 10, David prayed, O Lord, God of Israel. And I love that. I love that. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to skip over that. I don't want to pass by that. You know, it says, O Lord, God of Israel. David is, he is specific and he is intentional and he is clear about who he's praying to. Saul is praying to a God. Here, here, David is praying to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of his promises, the God who delivered the, the Israelites out of captivity and into freedom. This is this is the God that he's praying to. He makes it abundantly clear. And he says this, I've heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy Keilah because, because I'm here. Will the leaders of Keilah betray me to him? I want us to catch the sentiment that I believe is underlying here. David had been scarred emotionally and relationally by betrayal. This is a man who had given up his life to serve Saul in his courts. This is a man who went to war in the name of God, in the name of Israel, the name of Saul. This is a man who married into Saul's family. He was the son-in-law of Saul. And to have Saul time and time again falsely accuse him and wrongfully pursue him in death perhaps is the greatest scar of betrayal that he's ever realized or dealt with. And I get the sense that in verse 11, he's asking a bigger question. Will the leaders of Keilah, these individuals that I just gave my life for, in battle to protect them and preserve them from the Philistines. Well, these individuals that me and my 600 men came to, to fight on their behalf, we laid it all out in battle. Will they, 
Will they abandon me? Will they turn me over? Will they turn their back on me? Will they betray me? Is it possible? Could they do that? And I don't want to cast stones at, 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 the, at the people living in Keilah at the time. Put yourself in their position. And I'm not trying to justify their junk, but just imagine for a moment, word has spread about what Saul, the king of Israel, has done to the priests, the priests, pastors of Nob. He hasn't spared their life. He hasn't spared their families' lives. Rather than allowing the fire within them to to inform them that they're living in fear of the scars, not even their own scars, but the scars of others to paralyze them. The second part of this, David asks a second question. He says, and will Saul actually come as I've heard? Oh, Lord God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, he will come. Verse 12, again, David asked. Here it is. He's praying into the promise. I want you to hold on to that because this is a different promise. It's a little unique. And David asked, will the leaders of Keilah betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, Yes, they will betray you. Earlier, I talked about this fire that God had placed inside of David and how on the heels of a conversation with his men, he prays into the promise of God where God said, yeah, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to help you in victory. I'm going to help you conquer the Philistines. This time, this time the outcome isn't at all ideal. He calls out to God, not once but twice, he prays into the promise and he says, is, is it true? Is Saul really coming after us? Is he really pursuing us? Is he really going to come to do battle with us? Are these people that I've just given my, myself up for, are they really going to betray me? And the promise is, yes, they will. What does David do with that? What do you and I do with that? What do we do with the scars of our lives? How do we keep going when we've allowed time and time again our, our fears to paralyze us, when we look in the mirror and we see the, the scars, the physical scars, the emotional scars, the relational scars, whatever it is, how do we keep going in the midst of all this? I think it, it comes down to two things. It really does come back to praying into the promise of God and choosing the fire that God places in us over the fear that distracts us. In Psalm 54, it's a psalm that David writes in this season, in this circumstance. It's a, it's a, maybe it's a journal entry. Uh, maybe it's a lament. We're going to read it together and we can talk through it. But he records his honest thoughts in the midst of this madness. I mean, madness all around. People betraying him, Saul coming after his life. Everything seems to be falling apart. And he gets really vulnerable with God. And on the heels of being honest about his fears, he remembers the fire that God placed in him. And in order to keep going, we're going to see that he prays into God's promise. It says, chapter 54 of Psalm, giving a little bit of background for the choir director, a Psalm of David regarding the time the Ziphites, now after he flees from Keilah, he'll have... Another battle with the Ziphites came and they, they said to Saul, we know where David is hiding to be accompanied by stringed instruments. This is another person, another group, another people that will betray David. And on the heels of this, you can read the story. It's still in, in 1 Samuel 23. Here's what David does. 
He says, come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. He's being really vulnerable. He's scared. He's angry. He's frustrated. He's whatever emotion he's feeling in this moment. He cries out to God in authenticity, and he cries out to God in in a plea. Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Who prays a prayer like that? He's able to pray a prayer like that because he's experienced God's rescue before. He's experienced God's restoration before. So he's able to pray with such confidence, such conviction. The circumstances haven't changed, but he's praying into this promise of God. And he says in verse 2, listen to my prayer, O God. Pay attention to my plea. In other words, please don't ignore me. Please listen. Please hearken to to what I'm saying. I I need you. I need you. I need you to hear me. I need you to understand where I'm at, my brokenness and my despair. Verse 3, he gets even more honest and, and really descriptive about what's going on. For strangers, they're attacking me. It's not just Saul. It's not just the people of Keilah. It's now these Ziphites, and there's people coming around from all sides, and it's overwhelming me. Violent people are, are trying to kill me. They care nothing for God. There's this fear that David is honest about. But then there's this transition where David laments the fire that God has placed in him. In verse 4, but God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. That's the fire. That's that internal, that intrinsic fire that allows him to to, to keep going. It burns so hot within him that it informs everything he's doing. And he calls out to God, God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. And he says of the same fire, may the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. And here it is. He goes from calling out his fears, claiming his fire and into praying into God's promise. What is God's promise for them? He says after verse five, the second part of verse five, may the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you promised and put it into them. In verse six, David does something really presumptuous here. It's beautiful. I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. This is a spiritual act of worship when you're grateful. This is an offering to thank God, to tell God how much you love Him and appreciate Him. David is so convinced that his God, our God, is a God of His promises, that he's willing to preemptively sacrifice out of appreciation He says, I will praise your name. The second part of verse 6. I will praise your name. Praise means to to bring honor, to celebrate. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. What is it? Because David's circumstances didn't change. In the midst of moments of madness, when our circumstances don't change, we still get to praise God. The author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who is at work in us, placing that fire in us. The word in the Greek is anazapirio. It literally means to stir up a fire within you. And when we've got that fire, and we pray into our promise, and we do as James 1, 5, and 6 instruct us, what David does so often 
It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, pray to God, ask God, and he will give to you generously. David David didn't go to the war room with his men after he found out Saul was coming after him and that the, key, the, the people of Keilah were going to betray him. He didn't devise his own plan of attack. He didn't devise his own approach to how he was going to handle everything. What he does is he cries out to God for wisdom. He prays into the promise and he relies on the strength of God, on the word of God. I think all too often we're missing out on the promises of God because we're not praying into our promises. We're busy devising a plan for ourselves, of what we can do, what we have to offer, what we bring to the table. And here, David, he worships the God of the universe, not because his circumstances change, but because it is good, because God is good all the time. I know as Christians, it's a bit of a cliche statement. God is good all the time, and you call back all the time, God is good. But it is so true. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And when you remember that, it allows you to keep going. It allows you to keep pressing on, to keep persevering, even in the midst of the battle, even when people who are near and dear to you betray you and turn on you. When you've got these scars, physically, emotionally, financially, whatever they are, you can look at those scars and not allow fear to to take hold but you can allow those scars to inform you of how God has always been a God of His promises. He's always been there for you. That scar is there because you survived. That scar is there because you made it. That scar is there because God brought you through. And that scar gives us reason to celebrate and to praise God and to pray into our promises and trust that God is going to do it again. And he says in verse 7, For you have rescued me from my troubles, and helped me to triumph over my enemies. David is likely looking at the scars of his life, recalling the battles. And he's got a moment where he's got to make a decision. Is he going to allow these scars that remind him of these difficult circumstances to create fear, which leads to paralysis, or to Anna Zapirio, to stir up this fire within him that God is going to use him in the midst of those circumstances. And he trusts God. And he keeps going. He keeps going. He keeps pressing into God. He keeps praying into the promise. He keeps honoring God's law. One of the most amazing things about David that you'll learn if you continue to read the story is that multiple times David has opportunities to take Saul's life. Some pretty extraordinary circumstances where David could have easily put an end to Saul's life and his reign as king. But he made a covenant with with God and he lived in that commitment. Even when he could have taken over and done what he wanted to do, perhaps, or what others around him wanted to do. What he does is he prays into the promise and he asks God for wisdom. And in that praying into the promise, God gives him the fire to keep going. He gives him the fire to fuel his future. Where are you at this morning? What's keeping you from keeping on, keeping on, from keeping going. 
Is it the scars of your life? The people who've hurt you? Is it the, the physical reminders? The brokenness? The Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted. The Bible says that God cares so deeply about us, you and me, that he, he physically, the Bible gives us beautiful illustration of how Jesus comes alongside of us and takes our burden, our hurts, our habits and hang-ups, the things that are so heavy on us. And he, he takes them upon himself. Somebody watching right now, you feel like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. And you're reminded through the scars of all that's happened to you. And it's cast such fear in your life that it's keeping you from pursuing God's best in your life. Jesus says, I take your burdens upon myself. This yoke of slavery that has kept you captive for so long, I'm taking that off of your shoulders. And I'm going to bear that burden for you. There's a moment where you have this yoke that they use for oxen. And even today, they'll put on horses and different working animals where they've got to unbuckle the harness and physically remove. They've got to physically remove this, this burden, this yoke that ties them together and strip off the weight. The way we can do that right now is like what David does in Psalm 54. To get honest with ourselves and to get honest with God. To tell God, regardless of the size of your burden and your brokenness, what you're feeling, what you're struggling with, the weight that you're carrying around, and ask God to take that from you and replace that fear with a fire. Fear leads to doubt and doubt to devastation. Fire fuels you for the journey. And I trust, I trust our God that as you call out to Him with authenticity, with brokenness, that He's going to respond to you that he'll deliver a peace over your life right now that is unimaginable. Well, how do I know that? How do I know that that's a promise, that God will do that? Because, because Paul even prays this same prayer in, in, in Philippians 4, 4-8. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of circumstances. And again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, Praying into your promise, present your request to God and the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is praying into God's promises and he'll give you peace. Pray into God's promise and he'll give you the strength that you're lacking to forgive those that that you've been holding on to a grudge with for so long. To let go of the the hurt and the anger and the the frustration and the devastation. God will give you the strength. He'll stir up this anisipario, this fire within you that will fuel your journey in, in, in pursuing him as you keep going. You no longer have to live in fear. You have been set free. The Bible says that you are no longer a slave to sin. You are free in Christ and that, that those who are in Christ are free indeed. 
So you get to choose right now whether you're going to continue to allow the enemy to lie to you and worry about all these things that could happen or if you're going to choose to, to, to cast your burdens on Jesus because he cares for you and live in absolute freedom. I want to encourage you to cry out to God right now wherever you're at and trust him that he will give you the fire for the journey to keep going. Lord, I thank you for this time that we've had together today. I thank you for the, the authority of your word. We stand on the word of God, every word of you, God. I pray for my friends right now that are struggling as they, they watch this. They're struggling, holding on tightly to fear that is paralyzing them. They're afraid because of the scars of their lives physically and emotionally and relationally and spiritually. God, I pray that you would cast out fear. Your word says that perfect love casts out all fear and you, God, are perfect love. I pray that we would cry out to you with, with honesty right now, the things that we're struggling with, the things that we're, we're battling and that you would come to our rescue, that we would pray into the promise knowing that you are a God who rescues and a God who saves. And I pray in the same vein that Paul prayed that your perfect peace would surpass all of our human intellect and understanding in the mighty and the powerful and the ever-present name of Jesus. Amen.